Good evening from Los Angeles. I am Holiday Kirk, and you are listening to the New Metal Agenda. This is episode one, and it is so great to have you here as we expand our reach into the illustrious and esteemed world of podcasting. Today, I have my co-hosts who I will let introduce themselves. I'm ZZ, also coming at you from Los Angeles. I'm Cranberry from Indiana. I am your least favorite lupine, Wolf Rambats. Our other co-host, John, is out this week. He was involved in a tragic bounce house incident. We are wishing him the best. Today, for our first episode, we are going to put our best foots forward, best feet forward, whatever, keeping it, keeping both. And we are going to introduce our personal favorite new metal albums of all time. New metal is an expansive and incredibly rich genre of music that all of us love and have deep relationships with. Deep relationships, very sexual. Gentlemen, if it's all right, I'd like to start. I insist. Now, I understand that I have, through my Twitter presence, made this into something of a meme, but I would like to be really clear and really calm. I know this podcast is audio only at the moment, so just visualize a calm face in your head, whatever that may look like. The War of Art by American Head Charge is as good an album as any album made by any artist in any genre of music ever. Gentlemen, can I get some agreements in the room with this one? It's an excellent album. That's for damn sure. Kirk, I am 100% with you for reasons that I'm sure you're going to discuss. I concur. It's a great album. Let me talk about this one real quick, guys. Released in 2001, Rick Rubin produced American Recordings. I have never, never, I don't think I have ever heard an album that goes for up to and over an hour with sequencing this good. And I'm just picking at random. I'm just picking at random what quality I want to talk about first. And I'm just going to start with the sequencing. The sequencing is flawless. Okay. Starts off with some of the heaviest new metal I've ever heard. Takes a perfect middle break with Effigy 23, which slows things down for four minutes. Jumps straight back into the B-side with the very thrash-inspired Americunt evolving into useless psychic garbage. Sprints it out and burns its way to the finish line with nothing gets nothing. I think the sequencing and pacing of this album is so good, I appended two other songs to the end. Pretty Face, which was a Japanese-only exclusive track, and Real Life, which was a B-side to the Just So You Know single which puts the album's total length at one hour and 22 minutes, basically a feature-length film, and I can still listen to the entire thing from start to finish and feel nothing less than ready to fight God and win. Do not let me oversell this. If you're listening right now and you haven't heard the record, I'm telling you, just turn it off. Go listen to the damn thing. Go listen to it. I would never swear by an album as deeply as I do this one. This is my, this is my favorite album of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. I'm open to any discussion that you guys have, though if you've got criticisms, you know what? Keep them to yourself. Not this one. Not this record. Go ahead. Oh, this is not a criticism. I want to agree with you 100%. It's very rare for an album of this length and this magnitude to have zero skips. And American Head Charge nailed it. This is the album that Guns N' Roses wish you were losing one is. Whoa, whoa. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's interesting. I don't remember Use Your Illusion. I think I've heard it a single time, maybe twice, but that is the most attractive reason I've had to go check out Guns N' Roses again in a very long time. So I will give that one another look. Any other thoughts or history with this record? Did you guys, you know, Cran, I know that you were around for this era. Did you have any run-ins with these guys? Yes, I saw them open the Pledge of Allegiance tour in 2002. Uh, singer Martin Cock made out with the left keyboard player, the bald guy, and no less than a dozen homophobes left. And I mean left and got in their cars and went home. That is the power of this band. They made people not watch System of a Down and Slipknot. What was the audience reception like, though, for American Head Charge overall? A little chilly at, at, at one point, it sounds like. The people who were into it were really into it, but they were the opening band on a tour that had been A, delayed a year, and B, featured a then top of the pop System of a Down. They were the band in 2002. I think people forget that with tours like that, concert lineups like that, people are saving their energy. Like people can't give it all up for the opening band. Even if they're like into the opening band, you know, you still have to mosh to system and mosh to and slipknot. 
Like, holy shit. So I understand if the crowd reception was a little chilly, but I know every every clip I've ever seen them from that tour has been unreal. Yeah, but they were sick. They were one of the best bands I've ever seen live. And I'm not just saying that because we're talking about how good the album is. They were all over the place. Did Martin, did Cam- or Cameron Heacock, kind of goes by both, did he shoot the shotgun off at the beginning? If he did, I couldn't tell you. Uh, we got there about five minutes late, so we walked in during their opening song. An idiot. Damn it! I know. This band was as over the top as it gets. It was very trendy at the time. It actually, I would say it actually hurt them in the long run that they were wearing costumes and, uh, you know, up to these antics because that kind of lumped them in with like, I, I, I know at the time the perception was like, oh, here comes a Slipknot ripoff band because they sort of had, they had the, the crazy costumes. They made new metal. They toured with Slipknot. They clown was in the video for just so you know, and remixed the song too. he ended and, uh, I know that hurt them, even though this is this is very much a very different band than Slipknot, I'd say for sure influenced, but a very different band. Also having a lot of members. You know what? Yeah. And having a, sh- a shitload of members, a packed stage. And you know what? I actually recant that. They're not like a necessarily a very different band, because if you were influenced by Slipknot in 2001, you were influenced by Slipknot and Iowa. And that's not an insult. You can't go wrong with those two. So, yeah, I would say. If I had to describe American Head Charge, this is pretty basic, but this really is reaching back before all of the new metal that had happened and, and rethinking new metal from the perspective of just faith no more in ministry. And it has other influences. It is really thoroughly just faith no more in ministry twined together. And then, yeah, I would say processed through a slipknot filter. But even that's really not scratching the surface of, of how deep this album goes. I would say that even though the the members said otherwise in interviews around this time. I think it's a very political album. I think that in sound, form, and function, it's a it, it sounds a lot like America itself. There's a really grand sense of things falling apart in this album. Like the whole operation is too big to fail. I've described it previously as it sounds like ministries, military, industrial rock, but on a post 9-11 Pentagon budget. Like it just feels like the whole thing is constantly in this state of shock and awe, but at the same time it's falling apart. So like when you have songs like um, Never Get Caught or Nothing Gets Nothing or I think Breathe In, Bleed Out does it and Pretty Face for sure does it. These songs have these breakdowns at the very end of the song where they bring back in like the chorus or the refrain but slow it way down and it just sounds like the song is is putting in this last burst of nitrous that is sending it harder than it could possibly have gone before, but it's also finishing it. Like, it's done after this. It just sounds like it's blowing itself up. Fran, do you have those two bonus tracks, Pretty Face in Real Life? Yes, I do some fucking kid fucking monster songs right they're unbearably sick damn and they add to the album it's it's already a super long album but you tack those on and it's better i think that a lot of that has to do with sort of the bigness of the record the the sort of raison d'etre of the record which is how fucking big it is is that when you pack those two extra songs into it it gets even bigger and it just sounds even more on fire and more passionate and more explosive and that really clinches its masterpiece status to me but i i i could clearly i don't know if you guys could tell but if you wanted to like sit me down and be like okay we'll debate the merits of it up against sergeant peppers debate it against highway or highway 60 highway 61 revisited right bob dylan anyone or blonde on blonde debated against nevermind by nirvana i could do that no problem no fucking problem and it blows my mind boggles the mind that this album has no reputation none i've never i've seen this on one list that i didn't write and it was a best new metal albums of all time list probably by fucking loudwire or something and it was number 20 and that's the only time i've ever seen this album mentioned that's that's crazy that's pretty high up though considering what did it sell at the time like two hundred and seventy-five thousand. approximate and i think that was worldwide so pretty bad you know this album was not cheap this was nine months in the studio a music video that had to have cost at least 100, 200 grand. There was a lot of fucking money put into this. That tank on the cover, that is not Photoshop. They parked that tank like four blocks from here and took photos of it. This was not a cheap 
venture. So two hundred fifty and then zero promotion. Did they not push this out? I didn't see any print at the time, and magazines were still huge in two thousand one, two thousand. You know what? I felt like I would have seen something. It did pretty. It did okay. They had the thing going in 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 England. They got their only cover story in England on Kerrang magazine. I have that issue. It's a great story, but they weren't big, but they had a following in England and, and, and even into their career, their best and biggest shows would still be in the UK, but it, it didn't, it definitely did not get what it deserved at, at all. The timing was fucking really bad. I think it came out one month before 9-11, if that, and you know, that's, you know, 9-11 happens and, and every heavy band you can think of suffered in the wake of 9-11, except System of a Down somehow. But this was this few weeks before 9-11, August 28th, 2001. Woof. The cover of this thing is the American flag being ran over by a tank. Like, oh, man, if this had come out a year prior, I'm thinking gold. I think it could it could have gone gold. And, and if not, I, I bet you they would have got a second album on American recordings. But the way it was that and I think Rick Rubin was at the end of his like new metal sort of era, like the next new metal album, I think he did. And if anyone's on Wikipedia, I'd love to know if this is true or not. I think the next new metal album he did was volume three for slipknot and he was legendarily checked out of that one like i know Corey is just kind of like he wasn't really around so think are was, we counting god hates us all as new metal oh for fucking sure but that was that came out prior? on 9 11 so he would have been recording it at the same time as american head judge around the same time yeah so then so there was that but that's slayer you know they have a history together you know i i think that with system of a down self-titled and toxicity rick rubin was super into new metal and what new metal was becoming and what it was and then i think by the time probably around the war of art which took nine fucking months by the way to actually finish i think he was over it and it sucks because i know they had a good working relationship the bassist, you know rest in peace chad hanks spoke positively on their working relationship in some interviews and and i know that they were set to do a second album but he just lost interest and it it, it didn't happen so it's a fucking disgrace to me that they didn't get their fair shake. But I do think that the the advantage to that, and I'm going to wrap this up. Christ knows I could go on. But I do think the advantage to the album being a flop is that anyone listening to this, you know, the only person in the world overrating this album or even trying to is me. You got nothing to contend with here. This is an okay computer, you know? There's no books written on this damn thing. Go listen to it. Just go listen to it. You can take it in in a vacuum and, and see for yourself how it feels. You don't have to contend with the legacy of the war of art by American head charge. You know what I'm talking about? You know, there's no 20th, 20th anniversary box set. There's no documentary. There's no movies. There's no rock and roll hall of fame introductions. You can listen to the album, take it as a piece of music as if it came out yesterday. So go fucking do that. Cran, you're one down from me. Why don't you go next? The album I'm picking is my personal all-time best, and this might be cliche, but I cannot be overstated how influential the music and the legacy of this album is. The self-titled by Korn. And I want to take a minute before we even get into the music, because my good God damn the music, I want to talk about the cover art and how iconic it is. You know, I listen to a lot of death metal too. And a lot of their covers tend to be shocking for shocking sake, a lot of gore, a lot of blood, a lot of, you know, people who you really shouldn't be thinking about hurting, being hurt. This album is disturbing all its own because of how realistic that threat of violence is. And on top of that, I think it represents the theme of the album perfectly, which is the loss of innocence presented from every single track, including my favorite closer of all time, Daddy, which is, my God, what an emotional train wreck that song is. It was, I want to say, very early 1995 when I had first heard this album. If anybody out there is as old as I am, I'm 40, and remembers the box where you could pay to watch music videos, that was my first exposure to Clown. So that was... uh. Uh, early to mid-1995, it had to be. And then I immediately stole my buddy's dad's credit card and ordered Chutes and Ladders because I could not get enough of corn. And then an hour later, we ordered Blind, and that was it. I was hooked instantly. 
And luckily, my uh, my friend who I'm talking about, he was a latchkey kid and his parents were farmers and never home. So they just bought us whatever music we wanted to listen to. So I immediately was like, hey, uh, you know, Steve Stoller, can you go buy the Corn album? And he did. It hit at just the right time. The profanity, how heavy the guitars were. That's the first time I heard Drop D. Sorry if I'm rambling here, but that opening seventh salvo song burst of a, a blind ball tongue, uh, ball tongue still rips. Need to clown divine. I'm not say the name of the other one. We can get to that during the discussion because it's a very unfortunate title for a song. And then shoots and ladders just it's punch, 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 punch. And by the time the album finally lets off, lets off the gas a little bit with predictable, it's just, you need that break in that. Like a lot of people complain about that fake and lies being a down point of the album. Really? First off, fake and lies are insanely heavy. I was about to say, yeah. I really like lies. I like predictable too. I think lies is my favorite song on the record. I love Man, all people of them, are wrong. What can I say? People are wrong. <laughs> but I think it's because Helmet in the Bush and Daddy come back so strong that that scene is a bit of a law in the album. I disagree 100%. And I think uh, Predictable has one of my favorite riffs on the album, but it's called bah, 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 bah. You know the riff I'm talking about. Everybody does. Uh, does anybody else have any thoughts on this? Because I am going to go incoherent here in a second. I just, I, Wait. This album makes me nuts to think about. My heart and soul are telling me to say this. Actually, my heart is saying don't say it. But my soul is saying I got to say it. There's no song on this album that's in drop D. It's all seven string guitars, right? And like a standard. Not to crush your childhood dreams. Okay. I know very little to nothing about how to actually tune a guitar. I know it was heavy you as fuck. You know what? I'm going to hand you the response. What I want you to say to me is I don't give a fuck. <laughs> just, say, just say, Kirk, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go you one better and say you learned me one today, Holiday. All right. All right. I appreciate that. I want to agree with you on the album cover. It is a brilliant album cover because it's very suggestive. Like, like you look at it and you both understand what's going on, but it doesn't just scream it in your face. What's happening here. It's the, the you know, the, the, cause the it's also, it's, it's the kind of thing where if this was a frame out of a video, it could be a comedic cut where it cuts away and it's just her dad picking her up from the park. So it's, it's very suggestive and, I think it's one of those album covers that where you lay eyes on it, you would never forget. Unforgettable album cover. It stays with you forever. And it, it really makes you want to listen to the album. It's an, it's what an if it was what you just said? Yeah. Like what you if, flip yeah. it over and the back isn't the empty swing. It's just them at home. It's just, you know, it's just your dad just being like, hey, oh, is that what's on the back? Yeah. Oh, distressing. I'll put that, you know what? Do we, <laughs> do we have the story of that album cover? They ever like said like who art directed it, who came up with it? Is there anything about that on the internet? There is. Really? Man, I would love to read that. I feel like I've never seen that. I'm unable to look it up, but the art director mentioned that it is somebody who worked at Immortal Records niece. And they asked for permission and the parents said no. And they snuck out there and they did it anyways. And they got in a lot of trouble for it, I believe. Wow. Very problematic. They were like, don't worry. It's, you know, this band's going to flop. Nobody will see this. The album cover with the implication of a girl being kidnapped was actually a girl being kidnapped. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's pretty much what that entails. Oh, shit. You're right. Oh, my no parental permission. So, yeah, they basically kidnapped her for a stage kidnapping. (laughs) Wait, are you looking at it? Is that true about the kidnapping? I'm trying to find info on that right now. But if what Cran's saying is true, then yeah, that's that, what that entails. That is fucking crazy. That's a good point. Wow. If so, they have parental permission, then yeah, legally they uh, should not have done that. <laughs> so let me, let me, you know, let's, let's be really frank here about Korn's self-titled debut album, 1994. This podcast is not happening without this album. Well, I don't know what the fuck I would be doing for the last three years of my life without this album, because without this album, I don't know what happens to popular rock music. New metal does not happen without well, corn. Do you think adrenaline would have picked up the mantle? No, I you don't, don't think so. I do not. I think that corn, what corn had that Deftones did not have, was not just the music, but they had an image. They had a, they had their music videos. They had a, a real hunger and drive to be successful on a pop music scale that Deftones did not have. And I think that those factors, in addition to the music itself, is what made corn's self-titled debut record. The, the lighting of the fuse of new metal. Like, 
And, and I think that it's almost there's very few records in rock history I can you can point to and say that's where everything started. Uh, like the like the other one before this, I can think of just off the top of my head would be like the Velvet Underground and Nico, where you or, can point to that album and be like nothing had ever sounded like that before. Like it Black had its influences. What Black Sabbath self-titled Black Sabbath self-titled also a good one. Very good one. You point to that and you go, that's where it all started. Like, you can't say that about Nevermind by Nirvana, because I think grunge would have happened without Nevermind. Nevermind put things into fast motion, but Soundgarden was already around and Mud Honey, Mud Honey were around and whatnot. Like, you know, it, it really slammed on the pedal, but Alice in Chains was already a band. Alice yep. in Chains was already a band. Facelift was already out. I remember uh, the, the rumor, and I haven't been able to confirm this independently, is that the reason Deftones got signed is because an executive from Maverick was like, oh, they're a Hispanic band. Sign them because Corn's Hispanic, and that's funny because nobody in Corn's Hispanic. I was gonna say, who's Hispanic in Corn? What? That's, but that's how these record executives were at the time. That would be wild to have that confirmed because that's just one more piece of the new metal puzzle that like comes together of just why Corn self-titled is the most important rock album of the 1990s. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I, I, I do want to say that. Yeah, I said it's it. entirely possible. You know who Deftones are as a regionally popular band in the Los Angeles area without Corn. No other band. You don't know who Limp Bizkit is. You don't know who Slipknot is because that all was set in motion by Corn and their popularity. And eventually, Bizkit, Follow the Leader just exploded. Limp Bizkit were signed because of Corn, literally because like, Fred that band Bizkit doesn't even feels- get together without Corn. You don't even. Yeah, you don't. You've never heard of a fucking Limp Bizkit without Corn. So. The, the influence of it cannot be overstated, but let's talk about Efsler. Let's 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 talk about it. Let's talk about Efsler. I'm still not going to say it. I just don't feel like it. Track six. F-A-G-E-T. Yeah, I can say it, but I won't. Yeah, are you? <laughs> it's it's not necessary. So let, let me talk. Let's talk about this song a little bit. And Z, I will let you override me if you agree or disagree. I've surveyed on this a couple times and I've had prominent LGBTQ friends and fans of mine come out to say they do not find this song to be problematic. They are not offended by it and they love it a lot. And while I think that it's it's always going to be somewhat problematic that he did use the F slur in the song, it is a song about trying to find your identity, yep. struggling with who you are and what you and how people are treating you for that struggle. And I think that it really weaponizes that confusion in a way that's very powerful and very cathartic. So am I singing along to the whole thing? No. But am I respecting it? And personally, you know what? Personally speaking, I don't get to make this call. But if they were if they were to go perform it live, I would never be mad about that. I would never be mad about that because I think that this is a song that is very important to lots of Korn's LGBTQ fans. So Z, I, I want you to take it from there. So the way I always took the song was just uh, trying to accept who you are in spite of what other people think about you. In Jonathan Davis's case, it's accepting who he is in spite of people thinking he's something different. But if you were to take every lyric in this song, except for the end where he says, I'm not a F slur, it could basically just be a song about accepting the fact that you are gay or bisexual or transgender or anything else that falls under that umbrella. Uh, but I think that's a part of it. I think a part of it is, is also trying to not be that. I, I think it, you can totally say a part of it is being confused about what you are and trying to reject it too, right? Am I making sense? Yeah, there you is. Can yeah, you can hear it in the background, but he's saying it over and over again. And, you know, head is also screaming that word, which is it's really disturbing. You can hear him just kind of mutter, or am I? That's yeah. just dealing with the confusion emotionally. He says, or am I? Yeah, it's subtle, but you Whoa, can hear that's it. that's funny. I like that. No, I like that. I think that this is a very complex song, you know, cycling through that turmoil when he was writing it. But I think that it is a very complex song. It's a very good. And I would also just like to say this too: this shit goes fucking hard. This song yeah. has two breakdowns and both of those breakdowns go crazy. Yep. So I just I do feel like that should be said. It's not like it's not like a think piece like the shit is still going crazy. But I think it's that second breakdown when he's he's asking himself, like, all my life, who am I? I think that that gets to the nature of, of being a queer young adult or teenager, especially in the fucking early 90s mm. of like trying and to in Bakersfield in fucking oh, yeah. Bakersfield hell on earth. To this day, that is not a great place to be openly queer. <laughs> no. So I, said, I, I do not want to speak for any member of the LGBT plus community. I, I don't make no intention of doing that. And I don't condone the use of the word. I just want to clarify. 
That's all. That's all I had. Oh, okay. okay. It sounded like you were going. It sounded like you were building to something. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm like, no, I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, is he about to just say it? Like, is he's he like, about well, to I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it here before anyone else does. I'm gonna break the ice and just, I'm just gonna say the damn word and then we could say it. No. But anyway, he's never really. I, he doesn't have to. It's not his place. All he's ever said about the subject is that he went and got the tattoo that says HIV on his arm because people called him names all his life. I yeah. think that. I think that it is a I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm going to go for it. I, I actually believe in this. I think it's a good thing that he said it. And I like the song and I like that he did it. If he did not use that word, it would not be as powerful. Otherwise, you know, obviously it's problematic. Obviously, it would never fly now. But I yeah, think for that early, album in that time. Yes. Yes. I see and what I, you're saying. But I think it's very powerful to hear him like flip this insult around especially when it breaks down and builds to that. You can suck my dick and fucking like it. Like it's like he's seizing that energy of being called this word and, and letting it out back at the people calling him that back at the bullies just as like a fucking laser beam. And I think that it's really powerful. I think a lot of people got the wrong idea out of this and used it to torment other kids. And I, I certainly have always felt really weird when they perform it live and he lets the audience sing the word and you have like, 8,000 people all going ah, at the same time. I always thought it was a little weird, but I, I, like I said, I've never, ever, 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 ever met a member of the LGBTQ community that was like, oh, that song's very offensive. That song's hurtful. That song's bad. Anyone I've talked to about this song has been like, that song means a lot to me. Yeah, 100%. Because uh, it, it's like I said earlier, it's a song that's like just kind of accepting who you are in spite of what other people think about you, even though he's not gay. He kind of just takes people calling him that, like with getting the tattoo and says, well, fuck you. So what? I'm who I am. Fuck you. I don't care what you think. And for a queer person's perspective, I think that's really important to have that mindset because it kind of makes you resilient to all the torment people try to unleash on you. You had this album. You you bought this. When did you buy this album? When did I buy this album? What year? Yeah, I didn't. My friend's parents bought it for me in 2015. Oh, in 2015? Sorry, 1995. Okay, hold up. That's a 20-year disparity right there. Hold up. Here's why I have 2015 on the brain, because they played the album in its entirety in 2015. And and I was just thinking about talking. No, it's my biggest regret. I didn't see Korn until 2018. I missed them playing this one front to back. Still haven't seen them. Um, I still haven't seen them either. I was supposed to see them exactly one year ago, but just like I am today, I was sick, so I could not go. (laughs) Hold on now, now, but hold on now. So you did have the album in 1995. Do you remember feeling any sort of way about that song at the time, or were you just like, haha, funny word? Uh, I I wasn't even 100% sure what that word was in 1995, and I'm not bullshitting you. Oh, we believe you. We believe you. Did you grow up in Indiana? I did. So was that even a subject that came up? Like, did people even acknowledge the existence of gay people or was it just like a punchline or how, how did you see the queer community at the time? What was your exposure uh, to the queer community? I should say. N slash a, there was, <laughs> this song. Never came up. There, was there was no discussion. There was him listening to this song was their school's LGBTQ gay straight Alliance. This was the closest <laughs> Indiana had every time this song was on. That was the gayest <laughs> things were in his neighborhood. No, I was also very, very heavy into Rage Against the Machine at the time. So I was busy trying to, you know, not be as racist as everybody who grew up in rural Indiana. You need work to do. And it was bad. So to sum up, Indiana Blows, the first corn album, whips ass. That's... All right, all right, all right. I want to throw this one to Wolf because Wolf is such a silent cartographer. I want Wolf to speak up. Wolf, what's your favorite new metal album of all time? Oh, I think I know what it is. Until I can convince everyone that Matter Morton is a new metal band, my choice is Nothing Faces Skeletons. Let me take you back to April 22nd, 2003 in the United States of America. The number one movie in the country is Anger Management. The number one song is 50 Cent in the Club. The number one song on the alternative charts is Linkin Park's Somewhere I Belong. And the ratings juggernaut on TV that night is the second season of American Idol. April 22nd is also new release Tuesday. Headlining the slate of new albums is Madonna's American Life. 
at the time, I was in my second semester of college, so I was about to become infatuated with Death by Stereos Into the Valley of Death. Let me tell you, that one didn't age so great. However, another album in my CD booklet at the time certainly did, and that's Nothing Faces Skeletons. Here's the scene. The Washington, D.C. quartet is following up its excellent fourth album, Violence, which had a minor breakout, landing the song Bleeder into the U.S. mainstream rock charts and expanding the band's profile. Nothing Face could have made Violence Part 2. Instead, Skeletons is different. It's more measured. It's an album that's eclectic, harrowing, and heavy. Instead of wallowing in simple solipsism, it lives in the gray. And that gray area is grief. It's not performative grief, but it's the roller coaster of real unpredictable grief. It's a complicated album because it vacillates between extremes, the numbness and the fury that will be familiar to anyone who has experienced loss. The album nails that time when life truly feels almost too real, and the overload of stimuli is so overpowering that you just want to shut down, and it captures the emotional turbulence of the era better than most. In the years between violence and skeletons, Nothing Face has been through some stuff. Drummer Chris Hawk has health issues and leaves the band and is replaced by Tommy Sickles. Singer Matt Holt's house burns down. Guitarist Tom Maxwell's mother dies. Bassist Bill Gall goes through a divorce. Some of Skeletons explores this internal turmoil. Lost in the Catacombs, Holt sings on the standout decisioned, my favorite song in the album. Somehow, I'm feeling at home. I think Scissions is one of the better songs about addictions in the 2000s. It does have a grim aura considering Holt's real-life struggles. But in contrast to any of the misery porn bands at the time, Gal and Maxwell's compositions is smart and engaging, giving the hook a glum, Beatlesque grandeur. They care about the listener. They don't have to try that hard, but they did. More than anything else, that's the Nothing Face story to me. Nothing Face's story also aligns well with the first wave of nu metal. Originally written off as a corn clone, Nothing Face actually conceived its sound through independent discovery, like many of the early new metal bands at the time. In an interview with Planet Sound, Maxwell confirmed that the band's name resulted from their original singer dapping up Voivod. Maxwell also describes the band's music this way, quote, very heavy, very aggressive, very passionate. It's very emotional music, very lonely music, end quote. I can't help but hear that all over a song like Incarnadine, that shifts from the bouncy Belkasi to an extended acoustic guitar passage. The musicianship is exceptional, the songwriting is progressive, but there's something else happening on Skeletons that has kept it in my rotation. In fact, a lot of stuff is happening as Skeletons is released. On March 20th, 2003, the Iraq War kicks off, becoming the third active front of the so-called War on Terror. Ten days before the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, criticized President George W. Bush in front of a London audience. The backlash was immediate. The country trio was blocklisted on the increasingly monopolized and homogenized clear channel radio stations. This was the post-9-11 boot in your ass, you're either for us or against us ethos in action. Something that the suicide file would rightly point out in the 2002 song Ashcroft as those in power using tragedy to advance their own narrow moral crusade. At the time, all this felt suffocating. It still does. Now, as we've established, Nothing Face makes lonely music. and The band could have turned inward, focusing on its pain. Instead, the grief the band personally experienced radiates outward. Here Come the Butchers targets the still ongoing sexual abuses by the Catholic Church. And Avernus grapples with American foreign policy. I Wish I Was a Communist is a furious condemnation of a necklace music industry that didn't realize it was killing itself while screwing over its artists. The band tries to thrash its way out of asphyxiation. And thus, Nothing's Face inner unrest seems to permeate all these songs, making that grief feel more universal when applied to current events. It gives their grief gravity. In turn, it makes these songs about a moment last longer than the news cycle because, like any expert storyteller, Nothing Face knew that the feelings would last. I actually reviewed Skeletons at the time. I wish I could find my review. Kids, save your clips. Here's what I remember about my Nothing Face review. I thought Skeletons was good. Nearly 20 years later, I still think it's good. It's a document of a band going way harder than they needed to, talking about way more stuff than it had to. I think, objectively, Violence is a better album, but Skeletons is my favorite. It's a snapshot of 2003. But 
more than the other cultural markers that I listed at the start of the spiel, it's still a picture of who we are now. What the fuck? Did you write all that today? Yeah, sorry. I'd, I'd like an hour before this. Way you more wrote all that in all an of hour? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was skeletons. Can't expand on that. Moving on. Z, uh, <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much, Wolf, for the for that. We We should absolutely... That was amazing. That was absolutely. That was beautiful. Let's make sure to get that together and publish that on uh, some other platform because that was incredible. It really needs its own recollection. I'm going to just be clear about this. I almost agree with you. I do not think violence is an objectively better record. Calm down. I think Skeletons, (laughs) though, is fucking amazing. I intend to get that album cover tattooed on me, hopefully this year. I'm trying to find stuff to bring up that you did not bring up. So here's here's what I will say. One of the things that I do admire a lot about the record is how catchy it is. It's very fucking catchy. They weren't just trying to like create another album. They really were going for it. It, it. it does in some ways remind me of Green Day's American Idiot, which was another band that was over the hill and trying to really pull out something like a, uh, I don't know, they were just, they were trying to mount their own sort of comeback. Uh, but unlike American Idiot, which I do think is a good album, Mer- uh, American Idiot is very full of itself. Skeletons is not full of itself. Skeletons is the only like Bush era rock album I can think of that sounds really pissed off that it has to be existing at all. I think that they would rather have been writing about other stuff, but Matt Holt was a very politically engaged person and he he had an incredibly good head on his shoulders. And I think that a lot of the songwriting on Skeletons predates this sort of doomerist outlook that we have now on politics for worse or for worse. And that makes it such an a, a gripping listen because with a lot of music you're not just you know it, it, it i think the tension that it has is that yeah it's very doomed it's a very doomed album it is their last album they did come out with there were some demos you can hear that they came out with i think in around like 2008 9 so it's a very doomed album but the playing and the singing is very passionate the band is incredibly tight the breakdowns on murder is masturbation and here come the butchers are absurdly heavy uh, the songwriting on Beneath and Ether is unbelievably catchy and so strong. I mean, Ether in particular, or, or really Beneath, but I wish Beneath had been a single because Beneath is is one of the catchiest new metal songs I've ever heard. But Ether is is definitely like a lead single type song. And um, yeah, fantastic fucking record. I love this album. Agreed with, like I said, almost everything you said, but really agreed with the thrust of it. And again, I pre- thank you so much for writing that out, really taking your time on that one. Got to dig out that review. I'd be very interested to read it. I know that's crazy to think that you were writing about new metal in the era. Do you remember having thoughts on new metal in general at the time? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, new metal was definitely a passion. We were coming out of that phase. I was trying to, you know, kind of trying to, you know, you can admit it if you were like the shit sucks. No, it wasn't until later when bands started to bail that I kind of felt that way, where there's definitely bands I didn't get at the time that we'll talk about in future podcasts, I'm sure, because I'm sure that stuff will come up. But it was discouraging to kind of watch bands like 36 Crazy Fists and Try Kill Logic kind of leave their core identity behind and become average metalcore bands instead of being their peak selves as good new metal bands. The the albums that like really last with me, even when I was at my like truest of the true, like me writing for Invisible Oranges and being like the editor there, like during that time, it's like Nothing Face, Seven Dust, and like From Zero. So that's kind of like where I'm coming from with my new metal predilections i guess it's like super heavy stuff but stuff that is also built in a pop mindset and hook focused uh does anyone else have any thoughts on skeletons i like the sheer anger for my wish i was a communist it always fucking sticks with me right before he's like fucking, shit really hits is, the fan the bullshit rolls off your tongue like spit that fucking line he's I mean, fucking mad on excellent this album. he's so angry absolutely he's got good reason too i mean tvt absolutely gives up on that band during and- the 2003 tour when they're on Ozfest, they just leave them in the dust at a bus stop and will not really pay, Can will you not pay to keep the tour going. I'm not familiar with this. So the deal with the uh, Ozfest is that they don't pay you. 
you're basically doing it for exposure bucks. Yeah, sounds like some Sharon Osborne shenanigans. Right. So you need your label to fund your trip on Oz, Ozfest. And the idea is that you do this, you're going to sell tons of records because you're going to have like 15,000 people screaming at you every night. TVT gives up on the band. They refuse to pay for them. And this culminating with intraband turmoil eventually splits up the band. They do reform. Unfortunately, there's an interview, I believe, with Tom Maxwell, and he says that they had 50 songs and they whittled it down to a great eight or nine, but those never reached the light of day. And unfortunately, Holt dies in, God, how long has it been? 2017? Dies of a de- degenerative disease, and I believe it was 2017 that he dies. And hey, bummer, but all around. Those eight songs did see the light of day. There's even like a bootleg album on YouTube. I listened to the whole thing last week. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, but I mean, it's all just in the demo phases still. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's not quite the same, but um, I would encourage anyone to go check out 1,000 Lies from those demos. That song's great. I always wondered what it would be like to be an aware, uh, educated leftist during the Iraq War, and I think it would it sound it would it sounds a lot like this. Uh, this is just a v- fucking viciously angry album, and they must have felt a lot like this to have been to know what was up at the well, time. And uh, was this during the Iraq War though? It came out in two thousand three, but they would have recorded it before the invasion began. Yeah, but we're okay. still in Afghanistan still- and. Yeah, still uh, post 9 11. The writing, around the writing could yeah. not have been more on the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I was too young to remember the era, but uh, we were going to war. <laughs> was, we weren't, we weren't like flipping the coin. We weren't like, maybe we let it go. We were going, For, to war. forgive my ignorance. I was five years old when the war started. No, 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 no. no. Fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I actually think that's a fair observation. Uh, you are not to... forgiven. I, I mean, I mean, oh, Cran doesn't yes, I'm not here. you. <laughs> Everyone, Cran just hung up. Uh, but um, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Totally fair. Uh, Fired me then hung up. Yeah, but, I actually find ZZ's perspective on this even more fascinating because for most of your sentient life, I mean, this has just been America. Oh, yeah. You don't remember it before. So this yeah. is that is fucking true. I, I think about that all the time that I have no memory of getting on an airplane before 9-11. My earliest memories are post 9-11. So I have no idea what this country looked like beforehand. <laughs> well, this is yeah, this is definitely my favorite post 9-11 album that, that sounds a lot like the like uh the effect the event had on the the country on a, on a more literal level but uh wolf that was beautiful writing thank you so much for making that happen for us but i do think we should move on though just because it doesn't get any better than that in fact we're all a little embarrassed at, at how prepped you were on that one uh <laughs> yeah i'm gonna look like shit right now when i start my album yeah man i'm glad i don't have to follow that double z you're up <laughs> all right so Sorry. give me a second <laughs> It's all good. Okay, go ahead. So earlier you're talking about it. Are you kind of referenced it being cliche that you picked corn self-titled crayon? Well, uh, I think for the temperature of how people see new metal now, I think my pick might even be more cliche. And that is uh, Deftones Around the Fur. That is a critical darling these days. Uh, so I'm not really breaking the mold by picking that one, but that is not just my favorite new metal album, but my favorite album of all time. I'm still period. pretty sure, by the way, that every new metal album is still underrated, except maybe White Pony. So you're good. No, that's yeah. still underrated, too. That's still underrated, too. Every new metal album is still underrated. So you don't have to be embarrassed about that. But I digress. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's all good. It's a valid point to raise. But yeah, like Around the Fur is a kind of a weird one for me because I found it really late in life. Like, even though there was a big period of my teen years where I wasn't listening to new metal, I was still into System of a Down that whole time. And prior to me writing off the genre, I was into Korn and Slipknot and other bands like that. But Deftones, I had always skipped over because I had confused them for Stained. Because what? of the. Yeah. So what happened was back on. Back in like 2012, 2013, Pandora Radio, uh, the album cover for White Pony was the original album cover, the gray one. And every time that any song from Stain's 13 Shades of Grey would come up, I would skip it. So every time I heard the opening riffs of any of those songs or anything like change, I would just skip it because I assumed it was like Stained or Shine Down or Oof. another kind of butt rock band that wow. had that album cover. Don't know why I didn't bother to give it a chance when I eventually I had to have noticed it was a different band name at some point or another. I guess I was just never looking directly at my iPod touch, just seeing a gray blob and pushing the next button. 
Yeah. So when I was about 18 years old, my freshman year of community college, before I dropped out, I was listening to a podcast uh, from giantbomb.com, if anyone's familiar with them. And Alex Navarro, a games journalist, mentioned his favorite band was Deftones. And I trusted his musical opinion. So I was thinking to myself, really? The fucking butt rock band? He likes that? What the hell? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give them a chance. I pulled up uh, Spotify. I opened Around the Fur and because the album cover caught my eye more so than White Pony. I put on my own summer. And no kidding. Instantly. Instantly. All of these feelings that I had got from all the punk rock I was listening to at the time, that heavier edge from like the more alternative metal stuff I was starting to get into as I was entering college. All of it just hit me at once. Was blown away. I had never heard anything like that fucking album. I listened to that album, I think, on loop three or four times that night. And all I was listening to for the next months was that album, Adrenaline and White Pony, over and over and over again. I was completely enthralled with the band. I could not believe what I was hearing. I was getting the emotional, I don't know what to call it. It's, uh, I guess the way he would sing would just invoke the same feelings that some of the more emo punk bands I was listening to at the time would. Kind of like a Alkaline, that's a bad example, but Alkaline Trio was a big band I was into against me. Sonically, totally different, but the feeling I got was the same. And the edge was the same as the edge I felt from bands like Helmet and Roland's Band, which were bands I grew up with because my dad. It was all just all these things that I loved about music rolled into one. And I could not believe what I was hearing. I had found what I immediately called my favorite band. And to this day, I still call it my favorite band. It was instantaneous. I didn't know anything about the members. I didn't know anything about the rest of the discography. All I knew was those first three albums, especially around the fur. And I was just hooked. I could not get away from it. I could not escape. That same year, I went to Ozfest just to see Deftones. I did not want to go that year, but when I saw they were on the bill, I'm like, all right, I got to go. And they opened with Head Up. And let me tell you, I almost accidentally pushed my friend into the fucking bonfire in the middle of the mosh pit when that song started. I was losing my goddamn mind. I was hoping all day that they would play Head Up, and not only did they play it, they fucking opened with it. It was ridiculous. As for the album itself, uh, moving away from how I feel about the band, it's, um, I guess for 1997, it was kind of groundbreaking for the genre. It was a more laxed look at new metal compared to what Korn and Limp Bizkit were doing, where it felt more frantic with Korn and more uh, heavy with Limp Bizkit, which is kind of weird to say, because $3 bill y'all is heavy as fuck. It felt more nuanced. It felt more artistic. And I can only imagine what it would feel like at the time. But when I was diving into it with my only exposure to new metal prior being Slipknot, Corn, Limp Bizkit, bands like those, it was kind of game changing. It like totally altered my perspective on what new metal could be. It could be more subdued. It could be more emotionally nuanced. It could invoke feelings that you know, or other than just depression and rage, it could have like this kind of whimsical kind of, I don't know what to say, but it just kind of makes you contemplate shit when you're listening to it, especially if you're just like stoned at 3am or something. But uh, I don't know. I wish I had organized my thoughts ahead of time like Wolf did, because I have a lot to say and I don't know how to articulate it. I'm sure you guys have a lot of feelings and thoughts on this album too. And I'd love to hear from you guys, because I know this is a universally beloved album here. I think having the different approaches back to back, though, is really good. Having one very academic, very organized approach and then just having you being like this fucking album, man. I think that's I, think, I genuinely think that's fine. <laughs> that's how I feel about, though. This fucking album, man. <laughs> yeah, those are such miraculous music moments when you hear it, when you hear it, when you hear the song or the album, you're just immediately like, oh, I love this now. Like, yeah, this oh, is you're, oh, everything I now. like about music sonically and emotionally. This is everything to me. <laughs> I think we've all had I think we've all had those moments in our lives where we've where where we hear the band, we hear the song, we hear the right song, we hear the right album. We think to ourselves like, oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, you just know, like, I'm about to get in fucking everything. Like the first time I heard United Nowhere by Playmo, who were my runner up guys? If I had if I could pick a number two, it'd be episode two, Medicine Cake by Playmo. Go listen to that while you're at it. Go listen to that. Great album. But I remember hearing that song and being like, oh, shit, here we go here we go. It's all happening. It's all happening right now. You just know. And those are, those are the best. I think those are like, just those are lifetime highlights. So, Oh yeah. I'm glad this got to be that band for you. And um, what a, yeah, what a miracle of a record. The, the way I've always thought of it is it was the first time I think a new metal band came along and was like, let's try to be pretty. You know, let's try yeah. to write songs that are beautiful and florid in the way that the cure or Depeche mode crafted songs. Cause I think that corn was never melodic. They were groove. Uh, Limp Bizkit was was rhythmic, 
but Deftones, you know, Deftones had a singer that could sing and and they let and and I think on this one he was allowed to really cut loose and sing. I think his vocal style is a big reason why I was hooked so quickly. Like, of course, that opening riff in my own summer got my attention. But hearing his voice, the way Chino would sing was reminiscent to a lot of more emotionally driven punk bands I was listening to at the time. Like Jawbreaker or Hot Water Music, that more laid back, I'm going to not scream in your face. I'm going to kind of, and I wish I had written this like Wolf had. So I could like real estate. I was listening to that band for sure. Uh, and Radiohead. yes, uh, Jawbox, Sunny Day. I, I was never a big Radiohead guy. Texas is the reason. PJ uh, Harvey. Even Hawthorne Heights, if you want to go later in like to the, into Screamo. I'm thinking of the bands that I know for a fact, Chino, were like, the, this, this is who I like. Like, oh, this yeah, is well, who influences me vocally. I'm just talking purely about what I was listening to and why Chino's voice resonated with me so much rather than why he was singing the way he did. Got it. Because gotcha. I was into all that emo stuff i was into all of this uh more emotionally driven pop punk i was into screamo and chino felt right at home with those genres in spite of him singing for a metal band and that really grabbed me because before deftones i had never listened to a metal band that sang like an emo singer only metal bands that sang like metal singers deftones are getting almost tricky for me because um this is gonna shock you but i don't really engage with anything other than new metal at all times and they are the closest thing I think we've got to an overrated band. They're not calm, easy, easy, easy now, easy. But I, I think that we can all agree that as far as like new metal bands that are broadly accepted as being great, Deftones often get that treatment of being like, oh, all new metal fucking sucks, except for Deftones. And so I think their music has kind of suffered to me a little bit because of that. You could put system on that pile for me, too. I was just thinking that, too. Yeah, system or like that. Once it once the first album is fucking incredible. Agreed. Once a new metal band is like accepted enough, though, people just start to immediately try to like crowbar them away from being new metal. Like I've noticed that the more successful I am or people in general are of rehabbing Slipknot, the more people come around and they're like, actually, Slipknot are black metal. Go fuck <laughs> yourself. What, the fuck, what the fuck? This is the these are real that? takes. People try this. People try this. Okay, they had two percussionists in a turntable list. You can't do this. This is never going to happen. Yep. But I think what's going to be interesting is like when once we've rehabbed corn enough, the people are like corn were never new metal. Like that'll be that'll be the Jonathan Davis tried that. Say, Jonathan Davis tried saying that years ago. He tried saying they were a funk band. Not oh, even funk but metal, they just all funk. say that I I've made this point before. I'm making it again now. And if if and whenever a new metal band goes on record to say we were never new metal, they're more new metal than they were before they said that it's like the ultimate new metal confirmed maneuver if you go on record to rolling stone or ever and be like we were never new metal oh yes you were <laughs> oh yeah you were <laughs> it's like my we're not new metal t-shirt is causing people to ask a lot of questions already answered by the t-shirt like yeah you're fucking new metal buddy so anyway uh, getting back to around the fur i just want to comment on besides how amazing i think the album is too because i had i had a full probably two years to live in that album before white pony came out i want to say one of my favorite album or moments on a new metal album is the transition from mascara which is a very soft whimsical song that has an ethereal quality to it right into that of around the fur that just kicks your ass i love that part it's a very frustrated, it's a very frustrated and a very sexual album. I know that Deftones' is sexy music is, is a meme now, but they are what they are, you know? It is. It's, it's sultry without being gross. Like, in a way, when you think of hair metal, you think of just being nasty and grotesque about talking about women. and Yeah, it's seductive. Deftones has more of a shudder to think quality where they can be, you know, seductive, like you said, and they can be sexual without being overtly perverse about it. Or like Violator by Depeche Mode which often has like kind of a line blurring between sex, religion, and violence. You know, this Deftones record around the fur, it, it is very sexual. Really, you know what I think it is, is Chino sings like a guy that should be getting laid, but never gets laid. Like like he sounds like a guy, he sounds like a guy that somehow blows every opportunity to fuck that, that comes his way. He, he, he has that frustration, like he has that inherent sexiness that brings women his way, but then he has that frustration of a guy that keeps blowing it. So I, I think that it's like a, there's like a tension there between being between like teenage sexual frustration and a more adults, you know, on tour with groupies sort of 
I was gonna say yep, he right. also seems to have the confidence of a guy that does get laid though. Like he does have some power in his voice. Like is he confident? A lot of times I don't know if it's confident. I don't know if it's confident. I think he sounds very uh, insecure on that record. He sounds very streaky, very shrill. Like I said, at times, like in oh, head up, yeah. he's definitely going fucking all out. Like and he does not give a fuck that people what people think about him in that moment. Well, that that is probably the most non-sexual song in their entire catalog, considering what it's about. Yeah, Max Cavalier is on it, so yeah. yeah. If you have to take one guess, I mean, I mean, the lyric in the chorus is what he named his band after Sepultura after, in honor of his late son. Late son, his son, Max Cavalier's stepson, son, right. stepson. He was friends of Deftones and had passed yeah. away. So uh, they did a song together in honor of him. Head up, what a banger too! One of their best tracks. For sure. uh, you said she is possibly the perfect new metal song. I think Head Up is the definitive new metal track. Not fighting you on that. I'm not fighting with you on that. It's a good pick too. Um. Crazy. If we had to do a top five, fair. Yeah, I was um, going to ask for people that heard this album first. This was your first exposure to Deftones. What was it like going back to Adrenaline? For me, I actually at the time I think I might have liked Adrenaline more because it felt rawer. It felt a little bit more heavy, a little bit more aggressive. Even though I wouldn't necessarily say it is, I would just say it's a less refined version of Around the Fur. To be completely honest feel more and it's weird to say because it was only like five years ago but i feel more nostalgia from adrenaline than i do from around the fur but i think around the fur is the more complete more impressive album interesting zz have you heard like snapcase and will haven no okay i've heard what? of them haven't heard them you ever heard will haven oh heard of them just haven't guy. listened to them get this guy a copy of will haven quick get this man a copy of will haven stat i'm excited for you i'm excited for you i think you're gonna like will haven you get to hear Will Haven for the first time. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. Sad. I'm excited. All right. My first impression of Adrenaline was like for, I think, a lot of people, which was, oh, I don't need to worry about this one. This one sucks. What? Uh, but, but like, remember, remember now when I first encountered like around the fur and Deftones, I was a deep indie kid. It had kind of come my way secondhand through a review uh, of a balance and composure song which compared it to be quiet and drive. And then like, I kind of got into around the fur, but not really. I only liked like two or three songs off of it. And then just sort of put it to the side. This was like 2013. So everyone calm down, but any like <laughs> noticing that I did of adrenaline was just, Oh, it's their new metal album. It's their first album. It sucks. Don't bother. And I didn't bother. So it was something I had to come back around on, uh, but I can't say I had any particularly strong feelings on that one. It's always been a little too gritty for regular listening on on my level uh, but obviously i respect it a ton i think it was number 22 on my greatest new metal albums ever list so you and i came at it from opposite angles then when we heard it the first time because even though i was listening to more emo screamo stuff on the punk end my taste in metal was very extreme before i got back into new metal a lot of grindcore a lot of death metal uh teetering on black metal a little bit but the nazi shit turned me off too much uh, so when I heard Adrenaline, it being so gritty was a plus to me, not a detriment. Yeah, big, big opposite with me. I've never, ever, 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 ever been into the extreme side of metal. So <laughs> Adrenaline being less refined was a turnoff to me. So it took me some time to go back and get into that one. But- to answer your question, Wolf, going back to Adrenaline from around the fur, I thought Nosebleed might have topped head up at the time for heaviest Deftone song I'd ever heard. But when it goes quiet and then it comes back with him, it almost sounds like he's scratching into his own throat. That shriek fucking sick. And then it kind of slows down for me until seven words picks up. So ultimately, I always thought Around the Fur was a better record, but Adrenaline has some much heavier moments. Engine number nine is a great number nine track right up there with Head Up, in my opinion. But then I think uh, MX is probably a, a stronger closer than Fire Reel. Yeah, I would say that it ties the record together pretty well mx was another one i was shocked to see them play live but i was very happy to because that's one of my favorite oh. tracks up around the fur Congratulations. yeah they played, they played it Damn, at um man dia de los deftones in 2019 oh which that sold out in like 45 seconds this year yeah kirk and i got tickets yeah. oh yes we're Yay. going we will report back on the show <laughs> yes we will Okay, guys, I think we should wind this one down. It's way past dinner time, and I know that Wolf and Cran, are their eyes are getting heavy, so I really appreciate them making it to this one. We are all wishing John a swift recovery. I think that we should wrap this up by each saying our, our favorite song off of 
our favorite new metal album and then we can call it so i'll start american head charge war of art favorite song a violent reaction corn self-titled ball tongue nothing face skeletons scission deftones round the fur be quiet and drive Woo! good picks if nice. you, you know what if you made it to the end of this episode and you're not sold by any of what we just said just go check out those single tracks at least one of those four is going to get you. I promise. I promise. So this is Holiday Kirk for the New Metal Agenda, signing off, wishing you well. Remember to keep listening to New Metal. Plug all your friends and family to listen to New Metal. And never, ever, I don't, I, I thought something would come to me and it didn't. So 